0: Journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1pm for the trip of a lifetime. Shalom and Shavua Tov. Welcome to having a trip of a lifetime. Joining me learning the Bible, learning how we, how it all started that we are sitting in Parshat. Hi Sarah, which we have just begun. That's the fourth parasha. We're in chapter 24 of the book of Genesis. And one of the things that I absolutely love and something that obviously I say all the time, but it's, it's, it's so relevant today and so alive today is that the Torah is timeless. Um, the Bible isn't just a historical book about his, about stories that we learn, but rather there is instruction, there is teaching, there is a way of life that is there for us to apply to every century that we've lived in, every decade we've lived in, every place that we've lived in, wherever we find ourselves, the Torah is timeless, it's eternal. And why is it so? Because it was penned by God. And in that um, we are able then to 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 touch with an absolute, to touch with an integrity that you cannot find in any other form of philosophy, theology, etc., etc. And why do I find it so unbelievably relevant um, is not only that it, it makes a lot of sense and it, it, you can apply it, but you can see it all the time. You get like like tidbits um, in the news. For example, now, the Abraham Accords. Why would anybody have named them the Abraham Accords? Um, why not name it the Trump Accords, or I don't know what the, the the Arab-Israeli Accords? Why do they call it the Abraham Accords? Because there's a truth, there's a resonance that follows from the, the 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 integrity of the Bible, and it's called the Abraham Accords because at the end of the day, while we are learning about our forefather Abraham, we see that Abraham is the father of nations, and that whatever interplayed out, whatever whatever happened with him with his son Yishmael. Um, throughout his lifetime is something that macrocosmically will play out um, between his descendants, the Jewish people, and Ishmael's descendants, the Arab nation. And similarly, we have a grandson called Asav um, who also very much is connected to Abraham um, who's known as the father of all nations and, Abra- and Asab is representative of the Christian world and um, there's a large and big interplay between Asaph and Yishmael today, we see Asaph and Yishmael today making peace and coming back to what the Bible set out as a vision for, for a world of, of, um, of peace, of harmony, of brotherhood, of humanity, of, of mankind coming together, all together and understanding, uh, understanding things. So when we sit down together every Monday, you and I, and uh, when you sit down and you listen to Chai FM and you are hearing words of Torah, understand it's not just about irrelevance today, about something that, you know, we can cull and um, it is just irrelevant in this time period, but it is something that has spanned generations, spanned centuries. It's going all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the way to us, and what was in the beginning is embedded in the end and the end in the beginning. So we are going to explore now, Chapter 24. In fact, we're going to be exploring exactly one verse because there is so much to 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 be learned in it. So don't go away. I'll be back shortly after the break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Okay, are you all ready for the trip of a lifetime? We are going to be looking at Genesis chapter 24. Verse one. Now, there's exactly nine words to it, but in those nine words is a tremendous, tremendous amount that we can learn. And it is, it, it, it follows, it goes as follows. The Avraham Zakheim. Avraham was old. Baab Yamim. He was advanced in years, or he like, he came into his years, meaning he was advanced in years. The Hashem et Avraham Bakol. And Hashem blessed Abraham with everything, um, very very simple in context. Abraham had just buried his wife Sarah. Um, he was he was very old. He was coming towards the evening of his life. And really, we know that this this um, this parsha um, is known as the portion of the bridegrooms. It speaks a lot about marriage. And it speaks a lot about dating and and what are the fundamentals of setting up a Jewish home. But before we get into this entire story and ideas, which is going to take us a couple of weeks, um, the first verse of this parsha of this portion of, of bridegrooms of Chatanim, um, tells us about where Abraham was standing in life. Where was he? What, 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 was, what, what, what was he about? And we're told two things. That he was old... He had like a couple of years, he was advanced in age, and Hashem had blessed us, blessed him and everything. Now you would think that, okay, that's understood, you've given us context, let's move on. But I'm just going to show you now the beauty of Torah and how much we can learn just from nine little words. So, very importantly, as a stepping stone and a place to take off from, um, the Midrash goes and tells us that why does it say that God had blessed Abraham with everything, that this is where Abraham was, that he was old and he was blessed with everything? Because there were ten advantages, ten things that Abraham had come to, that had arrived at, that had achieved, um, that put him in this position where he could be old and he could be blessed with everything. So let's go through those ten advantages. And they really come on the hill of the Akeda of the sacrifice of Isaac and the death of Sarah. The first advantage is that God promised never to test Abraham again. And that was a great blessing. If you recall, when um, he was stopped from sacrificing his son on the altar, um, one of the negotiations that Abraham said is that, I'm done, please do not put me in a situation of, 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 of being tested again. I don't want to wrestle anymore with my emotions and having to choose such difficult things. And God acquiesced. And so Abraham being old and coming into his years was a time now where he could have peace and tranquility and knowing that God wasn't going to test him yet again. He had completed all his tests, kind of was like a graduation, and now he could sit back and enjoy the fruits of his labors as opposed to knowing, well, I have to do another degree and another degree, I have to learn more, I have to be tested more. His testing was all over. That was advantage number one. Now, interestingly, number two, point number two actually goes back to the previous parsha where Avraham was promised the son, um, whom we know was Yitzhak, um, and a very interesting thing that happened. Because Avraham and Sarah were so old when they fell pregnant, there was a lot of conjecture in society about who really was the father? Who really was the mother? And one of the miracles that God did was that he allowed Yitzchak to look exactly like Avraham. Meaning, we're told in the Midrash, that when Abraham and Yitzchak would walk down the streets, you couldn't tell the difference. It looked like you were looking at twins. The father and the son looked exactly the same. There was no difference between um, Them insofar as that you could look at Abraham and see that he was older, um, that 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 that, uh, that was younger, that there was any graying in the beard. So what happened was that Abraham turned around and prayed to God and said, "Is it proper that a father and a son should walk together and people do not know which is the father and which is the son? If you grant men the crown of old age." then people will be able to recognize who's who. And uh, we're told that God responded to Abraham and said, you have spoken well, so you will be the first to have a white beard. Now, um, I'm sure all of you out there, particularly the ladies, you know, you want to blame old age? Blame it on Abraham because he was the one that said, you know, make me look older, let me age, and let me look different from my, my son. But that was the first time that there was that ability for, 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 for people to distinguish between who had the wrinkles and who had the grey hair and, and would go and say, ah, this then is a, an ancestor, not a, not, 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 not a child. And they could recognize who was who. Just to, and, and this, where, by the way, where do we learn this from? It says, the Abraham Zake, Abraham was Old. Okay, he was 137 years old at the time. But Baba Yamim, that he, that he was coming in the days, is coming to teach us that in fact he, 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 he aged. He aged. Baba Yamim, he, he became, he became a, uh, a person whom you could see that, that old age was upon him. And he asked for that. But just to extend the Midrash a little bit more, we are told that after that, Yitzchak obviously grew up. He had grown up already; he was thirty-seven by the akeda, but he flourished as a father and had children. He had Isaac, um, he had uh, Yaakov and Esav, and he went and turned around to God and he said, "You know, there's a proper, there's a problem with living in old age and only living in utter peace with no suffering." So. It says that Yitzchak prayed and said, you know, man's goal is that he will have, reserved for him in the world to come, his his his, uh, his bounty, his good. And um, a person might never know when he's going to die. And so he might never know when to do chuvah, when to repent. So rather, rather give a sign that a person's life is coming to an end, so he'll be able to put his life in order, he'll be able to make amends for whatever it is that he needs to, and so that he knows, and he is ready to transition from this life to the next life. God says, good idea, you have spoken well, and I'll begin with you. So what happened with 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 Isaac? Isaac suffered when he got older, as the Torah says, and we will eventually get to this verse, it's chapter 27, three chapters away. When Isaac was old, his eyes became dim. So here we see that 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 suffering at the end of um, the one's lifetime was asked for, and it was asked for by Isaac to end up the midrash. Yaakov came around and he said, "It's a disadvantage for a man to wait until he's old." that he should die suddenly, and that he should only suffer at the end of his life. It is better that a person is ill intermittently so that he would be able to prepare for himself, give his children final instructions, and have suffering in, in peace, And so if we look at the, the life of Yaakov, Yaakov did not love a peaceful life. First he ran away from Esau. And then he landed up with love On. He got schneid with love On and all his shenanigans and he married the wrong wife and then he had to work another seven years for Rachel. Then when he was on his way back, he landed up having to confront his brother um, Esau. Then when he eventually, get, and then he loses his wife Rachel on the way back to, to Israel, the one that he loves so much. Then when he gets back to Israel, he loses his son Joseph. His entire life was a life that had ups and it had downs. And it was a request of Yaakov. Why? Because rather let us go through the vicissitudes of life up and down and get them in, in small amounts than wait for all of it to land up at the end of our life. Um, we'll discuss this a little bit more when we get back after the break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, so we were going through the advantages that Abraham got after the Arkeda and what made the explanation that he had become old and God had blessed him with everything. So advantage number one was that he had stopped being tested, which was a huge thing. Number two was that he actually aged and he asked for for a sign that he looked older than his son Yitzchak. The third was and the, the midrash holds that there are, cert, there are certain opinions with that when it says the words "the Hashem berach it Abraham bakol," that God blessed Abraham bakol with everything. That bakol doesn't mean with everything, but it is the name of a daughter, meaning that Abraham um, knew that one of the opinions about how do we fulfill the mitzvah of pro-uruvu, how to be fruitful and multiply, the rabbis hold that you need to have a boy and a girl. Meaning if you have two boys, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah yet of being fruitful and multiply. It's one of the opinions. Now we know that Abraham had two sons. He had Yishmael and he had Yitzhak. He did not have a daughter. And so one Midrash goes and says that Abraham was able to fulfill the commandment by having a daughter, and her name was Bakol. Um, As you will see much later down the line, uh, he remarries Hagar, um, and I would assume that Bakol was one of the children from Hagar. So that is the third advantage, that he managed to fulfill the mitzvah of being fruitful and multiply um, on all levels, even the opinion that holds that you need a, a male and a female in order to fulfill that mitzvah. The fourth advantage was that Aram had gained authority over his Yetzahara, over his evil urge. So although he was able to uh, control his passions and his emotions since youth, um, he, would, he would battle with them. Now he had total dominance. And we're told that there were three tzaddikim, three saints, um, who, over whom the Yetzirah eventually did have they had no power over, and they were, of course, our three forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So it's not that these people, by the way, never experienced the Yates of horror, but um, what we're saying, what we're seeing here is that God saw that the, when they were fighting the Yates of Horror with all their heart and all their soul. He helped them and he decreed that the Yetzirah would not have any power over him and that they would not suffer any anguish because of it. That was advantage number four. Advantage number five is an incredible advantage because, as I said in the beginning of um, this show, this is the timelessness of Torah. One, The fifth advantage stated in the Midrash is that Abraham saw Ishmael repent and change his ways and and Abraham personally saw him to uh, begin acting in a God-fearing manner. Until then, Abraham um, suffered much heartbreak because Ishmael was wicked and immoral and he suffered terribly the shame of having such a son. And it says that God helped Ishmael repent because of Abraham's merit. Tamias? Of course it's Tamias. Because for the last Um, 2,000 years, we've been battling with Yishmael. The Jewish people and Yishmael have been battling against each other, and peace has always been elusive, and peace has always been difficult. And now guess what we have? The Abraham Accords. And slowly now, on the macrocosmic level, Yishmael is repenting and turning back, and we are going to hopefully see a much greater peace um, pervade the, 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 the Middle East and that we can see that we in, in fact are brothers and that we can work together and that we should work together and that we have what to offer each other and so I think that this entire Abraham Accord is really monu- it's, 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 it's it's miraculous it's miraculous and it's in accordance with the timelessness of Torah that at the end of Abraham's life he sees Yishmael repenting and coming back Yishmael and Yitzhak are there to bury Abraham. Um, and so now we see the, the the peace that is being made, starting to be made between Jews and the Arab world is certainly embedded and um, prophesied, so to speak, within the lines of what we're seeing here um, in the Bible. Number six, the other advantage, and we spoke about it earlier now, I mentioned it, is that Yitzhok had a son, Asaph, he had Yaakov and Esau and there we had a dichotomy. Yaakov was the man of the tent. Esau was a Vildachai that went out into the field and he killed and he was immoral. It says that one of the, one of the things that happened with Abraham is that God took away five years from Abraham's life. He was supposed to live to 180. He only lived to 175. Why? So that Abraham should not see the wickedness of his son, his grandson. The seventh advantage, it says, is that there were three people that God allowed to experience the world to come during their lifetimes. And who were they? Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov again. Just again, accentuating the, the spiritual stature of our forefathers. Let's talk about the fact that it says, God blessed Abraham with everything. What does that mean? Well, whatever Abraham wanted, he had. Whether it was gold, it was silver, it was precious stones, other luxuries. Abraham was wealthy before the Arkada, and a person. And, and we know that a person normally um, would get poorer as he grows older because he can no longer attend to his business. So, in a person's latter years, one would see expenditures normally exceed income, and there are many times where our estate. Shrinks now. Although Abraham's expenses were huge, okay, and he continued extending hospitality to many people, the miracle was that he retained his wealth. His estate didn't diminish at all, and that is what is meant. Abraham Hashem Abraham Bakol. Abraham had everything. Even in his old age, he didn't go and say, "Well, I need to cut down now because you know I'm not in the world. I'm not making deals. I'm not earning money." and on top of that, I'm feeding so many people and, and putting myself out that I'm not going to have too much. No, Abraham, Abraham was blessed by with everything. He managed to retain his wealth, which is absolutely um, incredible. Then the ninth uh, advantage was that Abraham was included amongst six tzaddikim over whom the angel of death didn't have any power. They were Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe Aaron and Miriam, these six people, the angel of death could not could not take them away. they had to be taken away by the hand of God um, just simply because of their spiritual stature that 's advantage number nine and finally advantage number ten and this is a very very interesting one, and this is where we're going to open up a huge discussion um, and uh, you're most welcome to give me your feedback, let me know what you think, um, tell me um, if you know of anybody or anything that you've ever read um, in, in, in this area. But the tenth advantage that um, we speak about is that Abraham was included amongst seven Siddiquim whose bodies, even after they died, did not experience decay. Who are the seven well, it's Avram Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, Miriam, and others say King David. There is an opinion that one says it, there was Benjamin, but that's, that is that is a difference of an opinion. Meaning all the above seven, Avram Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, Miriam, and Melech David, experienced no decay in their body whatsoever. Meaning, if we went to Hebron today and we actually stood really at the grave of Abraham and I'm saying really because right now when you, what you do is you enter above the ground um, and where you stand is above where he's buried he's buried in a cave some say in the cave within a cave so we're not really directly standing at the graveside if you would uh, theoretically um exume Abraham's body you would see that it hasn't decayed at all now that is quite A frightening um, idea Quite a frightening idea Because we know that practically Physically um, From a scientific uh, perspective We know that once the soul Leaves the body And it it takes away the vivifying Life of the body um, We are very careful to put the body Into a coffin Put it into the ground Because we are fulfilling the mitzvah From dust you came and from dust you shall go and um, we know that if we ever exhume bodies, um, we don't find much of the body left. Um, over time, the body rots and it disintegrates, and it does return to dust. But there is a concept in Judaism that amongst the very righteous, they are so righteous and so connected with God in their lifetime, that that when they leave their body they leave a, a, the, the lowest level of their soul, and there are five levels to the soul. They leave um, the lowest level of their soul connected to their body, and that stops their body from rotting. Now, while we're saying it about Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, um, Moshe, Aram, Miriam, and King David, there are many, many examples in the Torah, in the time of the Gemara, that speak about this fact. And furthermore, um, there are contemporary stories of when people tried to exhume a body simply because they were buried um, in a place that was either set up for destruction or needed to be moved. and they happened to come, you know the, the coffin falls apart or something, and people have seen the body and the body is as perfect. As the day that it died, it looks like the person is sleeping. Now, I want to share with you some stories, maybe two or three of them, in the Gemara of Tanaim of of great rabbis, whose death was really, in a sense, a a, a temporary move over because they still function very much in this world. There's a famous story of Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi Elazar was the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is the guy that we uh, celebrate his 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 Yom Hilula, his Yahrzeit on Lag Omer, We light fires. The story of Rabbi Elazar and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is that they both were teaching Torah that was against the Roman um, decrees at that time. Their lives were endangered. They ran into a cave. And they submersed themselves in the study of Torah, and all they did was drink a little bit of water and eat from a carrot tree outside the cave for 13 years. Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai um, achieved great, great heights in the Torah. And it was Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai that writes the book of the Zohar, the book of the, that, that is the foundation of everything that Kabbalah speaks about today, of all the mysticism of the Torah. His son, Reb Elazar, became unbelievably spiritual as well, and we're told that when he came out, if he looked at somebody and he thought they did them wrong, just looking at them would cause that person to pass on and to die. And we are told that there was one time that Reb Elazar, many years later, after Rabbi Shimon had passed away, Reb Elazar felt very bad because he believed that he looked at somebody um and um he 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 felt that his look was wrong, and it had caused the death of the person, and he might have killed an innocent person so what he did is he he started engaging in a daily regime regime of self mortification he would he would pain his body every single night he would sleep on a bed that 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 would would um would hurt him, and in the morning it said that he would wake up and his body would be spent from the pain of lying on a bed of needles and, and racks etc etc and his wife was really really mad at him Um she was being a very good Jewish mom, mommy but she was getting mad at him because every morning the sheets would be soiled with his blood and with the, the infection and, and and the pus that was lying on, on you know on, on these needles caused and um, she said to, to Rabbi Elazar, her husband, I've heard you pray to God that you wanted this suffering, that you're trying to cleanse yourself, but I no longer wish to remain with you because you are in control of your suffering and I'm asking you to stop. And I don't want to remain with you if you do not, you, you do not change that. And Rabbi Elazar refused. He didn't want to. So she said, I'm leaving. I'm going back to my parents. So she angrily left him. She returned to her parents um, and told them all what happened why, why why she had walked away. In the meantime, in another place, there was a convoy of 60 ships that were sailing the seas. They got caught in a storm. They were threatening to sink, and all the captains got on board and they realized their lives were in peril, and they knew that um, as did a lot of the society around, that Rabbi Elazar was a very, very holy man. So they called out in the name of, um, in the merit of Rabbi Elazar that they all should be saved because he was such a big tzaddik. That maybe they, they didn't have the merit to be saved, but in the merit of having a tzaddik in their midst, they should be saved. God listened to their prayers, the, the storm subsided, and they reached land safely. When they did, Every captain sent Rabbi Elazar a servant and a purse of money. And so overnight, Rabbi Elazar became extraordinarily wealthy. A little while after that, his estranged wife sent their son to see how Rabbi Elazar was doing. And when he saw his son, he said to him, go tell your mother that God has made me more wealthy than her father and the merit of me learning the Torah has not failed me. And when he healed, he went back to the the, the academy where where they learned, and um, he he there's many stories of the various uh, halachic dispensations and um, rulings that he gave that were extraordinary and made people realize that he in fact was an unbelievable tzaddik. Then came the time for when Rabbi Elazar was about to die. He said to his wife, the other sages are angry at me because there were once some criminals that I sentenced to death, um, like I'd given a halachic ruling, and they were their relatives. I know that if I die now and they need to bury me, they will not honor me. Therefore, my time has come to move to the next world. But I ask of you, do not bury me. Just leave me in my room and you will have nothing to fear. His wife did so. And Rabbi Elazar passed on in the physical world and his body lay on a bed in a room. Okay. Um, and this remained the status quo, believe it or not, for 22 years. People thought that Rabbi Elazar was just ill. And many people even came still to ask him to decide cases of judgment. And interestingly, From behind the screen, they would hear a voice rendering a decision. So, Rabbi el-Azhar, for all intents and purposes, had moved on to the next world. But because he was such a holy person, Nefesh remained in the body and could function in this physical world, albeit that with physical eyes, he in fact had passed on. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, our next spooky note. There was Reb Elazar living in a bedroom for 22 years, effectively dead as we know it, but still rendering cases of judgment. The Midrash finishes up and says that one day, Mrs. Elazar, the wife, sees a worm coming out of her husband's ear, and she goes, Oh, it appears I can no longer be able to keep him here because now worms are attacking his body and it will begin to decay. We're told that night when she was still grieving, Reb Elazar appeared, appeared to her in a dream and said, do not grieve. That worm was a result of, of the one and only sin that I committed because once I heard people insult a Torah scholar and I remained silent. And so this continued. But once Rabbi Elazar's wife got into an argument With a neighbor, and she blurted Out inadvertently, may you not Be worthy of burial, just like my Dead husband, who is not buried And suddenly, the cat was Out of the bag, people began to Talk, and the sages went And said, it's not right for Rabbi Elazar To remain like this, because Everybody now knows that He is dead Um, Also, it says that his Father, Rabbi Shimon Baruchai, appeared To the sages, in the dream said I have one pigeon with you, meaning I have one son. My son's body is with you, and you are not letting him come to come to me to be buried by my side. So the sages decided to bury him. But then the people in the in the village wouldn't allow the sages to remove their body. They said during the twenty two years that Reb Elazar's body was here, no wild animals were seen in the area, no trouble struck us. And therefore, we're not letting you take the body. We've got unbelievable protection, even from the body of the tzaddik. Never mind about the tzaddik himself. The sages didn't know what to do. They came up with a plan. They waited until the day before Yom Kippur, when everyone was busy preparing for the holy day. They sneaked out the body, and they finally were able to bury it in the cave, together with his father, the great Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Interestingly, we told that when they came to the cave, they saw a huge snake coiled at the door, and they had to announce, allow a son to come to his father, and the snake left and allowed Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Elazar to be interred in the same grave as his father. Where is that grave today? In the famous place of Meiron. That's where Rabbi Shimon bar is buried, and so is Rabbi Elazar. So we see from the story that there is very much room in Judaism that a body doesn't decay. If it fulfilled its mission in this world, in its entirety, um, and every cell of the body was steeped and steeped with Torah, with spirituality, that even after the soul moves on to the next world, this body can exist still um, and be very much alive. Here's another story, if I didn't convince you. The Talmud relates that when Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was the head of the Sanhedrin, a very, very um, great human being in stature, when he was about to die, he told his family to set a place at the table on Friday night for him, to light a candle for him and to make his bed. And the Gemara goes on to say that every Friday afternoon, every Shabbos or evening, he would come to his house and make a kiddush for his family and join his family for the Friday night meal. And this went on for a long time. And then once a neighbor knocked at the door and the maid said to the neighbor, right now no one can come because the master is in the house. And from then on, he stopped coming because he did not want to um show off to the other sages who didn't have the ability to return. So here's another example where Rabbi Yehuda didn't die. He would, he would come back at will every Friday night. One last story. The Talmud also relates there was once a number of men that were digging near the grave of Rav Achai. And suddenly, as they were digging the other grave, they heard a voice rebuking them and say, and, 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 they got, they got very nervous and they ran away. They ran away, and they went to a great sage called Rav Nachman. And they said, Rav Nachman, you've got to come back to the cemetery. There was a voice shouting at us, rebuking at us from Rav Achai. So Rav Nachman comes to investigate and Rav Nachman says at the grave of Rav Achai, who are you? Who are you shouting at? The voice replied, I am Achai, son of Yoshia. So Rav Nachman replied, How can you speak? Does not the Torah say, From you are dust, and to dust you shall return? Even Rav Dimi teaches that saints refer to dust, to which the voice replied, Rav Nachman, if you studied as far as the book of Mishlei, the book of Proverbs, you would not make such a statement. Because did not the wise King Solomon say, Envy is the decay of the bones? And a person's bones decay only if he experienced envy. But if a person never had any envy whatsoever, his bones do not decay. So Rav Nachman uncovered the, gave, the, the grave, and he felt the body, and he saw that the flesh um, of Rav Achai was as firm as as if it was first buried. So he says to Rav Achai, But then look, you're alive. Why do you remain in the grave? Come home with me. So Rab Acha replied, I see you have not read the words of the Nevi'im either. It is written, You will know that I am God who I have opened your graves and I have brought you out of your graves. That's from Yecheskel, from Ezekiel. So until God brings us out, we cannot willingly leave ourselves. I understand, replied Rub Nachman, but then what is the meaning of the verse? You are dust and to dust you shall return. So Rabbi Achai went and said an interesting thing. He went and said, a short time before the resurrection, the bodies of the righteous will revert to dust. And this is to publicize the miracle. They'll be brought back to life, although nothing remains of them. So here I've just shared with you two stories from the Gomorrah, um, and that you might, you might, two or three of them, you might think that they're like, whoa, a little bit like, you know, wild as I said, there are stories until contemporary times. I'm going to share you a story that was written down in a book called Rashid Chochma. Uh, there was a great rabbi, Rabbi Eliyahu Davidas. He lived between the years 1520 and 1590 and um, he writes in his book, Rashid Chochma, that something happened near Fez in his time. He said that there was a very, very righteous person that lived there and that that righteous person, that saint, died a two-day journey from the city, and he was buried there. And after a few years, his children went there to bring his, to exhume his father, the, the father's bones and bring him back to the family plot. And when they dug up the body, they found the body whole and perfect as it was when it was first buried, except that one foot had decomposed. So the oldest son fasted And prayed to find out Why had the entire body remained whole While one foot had decayed And that night He had a dream That his father came to him and said Decay attacked that foot Because I once had an argument with a Torah scholar And I pushed him away with that foot So that, my punishment is that it, it decomposed But the rest of my body I never sinned at all And none of the worms have authority over that. So, this is not Talmudic times, this is not Abraham times, this is 1520. We're going to go for a little bit of a break and I'm going to end with a contemporary story. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back, and we've discussed quite a hairy subject today—the fact that, that a body can survive and can, so to speak, live, albeit in a very different way um, from from what we understand the norm to be. There were, there are a few stories, and, and you can go Google it. I haven't come to a complete conclusion. I think it has to do with the Vilna I stand to be corrected. But there was one point in time where one of the contemporary sages of just the, the latter years now, the last century, had to be moved from one place to another. And again, what happened, I've picked up one or two stories where they moved it and, you know, some people were, were, were uh, fortunate enough to see the body and the body themselves too had not disintegrated. There was one other, one of another great sage, when they moved the body, they took the, the, the coffin. The coffin had been obviously underground for many, many years and was was very rickety. The body was intact. The coffin fell apart, um, and they were just absolutely flabbergasted that you could see the decay on something as physical as, as the coffin, and nothing had touched the body. Bottom line from all of this, and in summation, of the entire death experiences, that Judaism sees death as a transference, as a movement of the soul from one world to another. And that the body is merely the vehicle uh, that houses the soul through the journey in this world. And then the the soul moves on to the next. And there can be times when a person is so righteous, so spiritual, that their, their spirituality, their righteousness seeps into every soul of their body, that it's able to vivify the body even after the soul has moved on to their next mission. A very, very powerful one, and in a sense a comforting one, because in Judaism, death is not the end. It is just a change, it is a transition um, of, of a soul's journey, and it gives much comfort knowing that those who have passed on are in fact very much with us, certainly in spirit, And sometimes, if they are of a saintly stature, like a rebbe, a great, great leader of Torah, they're even with us physically. On that note, let me wish you all a wonderful week.